Let's go. Let's get going then, Vinay. Folks, welcome to the first Buff Stampede podcast, post-game podcast. Chase Howell, Vinay Simlot. The Buffs won. Sam Neuer was quarterback. Carl Durrell's first win as the head coach. Chase, how you feeling? Can you believe it? That's my first question. Okay. You can. You were, you were expecting a little shootout between the UCLA Bruins and the Colorado Buffaloes? You know, I wasn't expecting a shootout of this magnitude, let me tell you. <laughs> so you called the game, obviously. You were doing play-by-play for uh, KBCU Radio. Radio 1190. You look all dressed up there um, Well, you know, you got to give some respect think? to the Buffaloes when you're in the press box. Exactly. Uh, so, so what do you think just overall calling the game, how the flow of the game went, all of that stuff? The flow of the game was nice. You know, we didn't get a chance to see Sam Neuer put together those long drives. There was that one drive that we saw in the, I think it was in the third quarter where they ran a 75 play yard, uh, 75 yard drive, 10 plays, 75 yards, three minutes and 29 seconds um, to give them the 42 to 38 lead. So that was a nice a nice time we got to see Sam Neuer run the offense, you know, call his plays, do all that stuff. But the rest of it, I mean, there were just so many pen, um, turnovers that um, Colorado had a short field for most of this game. Not saying that's a bad thing either, though. No, but I, I think that's definitely where you have to start. I think turnover margin um, is probably what ended up settling this game. And obviously CU was on the favorable favorable side of that what did UCLA have about four turnovers in the first half yeah they had had four turnovers not counting the turnovers on downs okay okay yeah because they went for it on fourth down a couple times yeah um but yeah obviously that's what ends up um becoming the difference in this football game and you you take that if you're the CU buffs but obviously it means you have a lot to work on and I don't think the defense looked that great, um, despite being able to cause quite a few turnovers. Yeah, so the, there were four turnovers. Three of them happened inside of the UCLA 30-yard line. So Colorado had a super short field. I think two of them were inside the two-yard line or something like that. I don't have the exact stats in front of me. But yeah, Colorado um, got those turnovers, made three of them into uh, touchdowns, and got 21 points off of those turnovers. The Buffaloes won, by the way, 48 to 42. We didn't give you the final score. So if you wanted it there. Final. The final matter is a W in the call. Is <laughs> the final matter. Okay. So, yeah, you talked about the defense. One thing I noticed is that the tight ends for UCLA were able to, to I mean, tear our defense apart. Yeah, it seemed like over the middle um, was where – Dorian Thompson Robinson DTR was able to have a lot of success. There's a couple guys just wide open right over the middle. I mean, most notably probably that last touchdown. Was it that last touchdown where yeah, Mike um, he threw the ball to Mike Yeah. And he was just wide open right in the end yeah. zone. He just had to lob one to him. Um, pretty easy touchdown. A little bit of a difficult catch just because those tend to be harder to grab. But um, yeah, it just seemed like they were able to get what they wanted over the middle. It seemed like they were able to get what they wanted. Um, in the passing game, which is obviously going to be something that they're going to have to improve on. But I, I do think they did a lot of good things in this game. But defensively, despite causing turnovers, they weren't able to get after the passer. Um, I think their run defense was very good. I was trying to look up uh, their yards per carry here, and, and it ended up being seven. But it just didn't feel like they were able to get much on the ground uh, the entire game. Maybe a couple of big plays there. 
Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And you know, while you were talking, I was trying to do some mental math here in my head because trying to make my point about um, the tight ends for UCLA, they combined for seven touched seven catches, excuse me, for 150 yards. Seven catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns between the two tight ends that UCLA had out for most of the game. Um, you know, I'm no Steve Kornacki, but I think those numbers are right. But uh, I think I think 150 yards. So when you give up the, that, that kind of yards to a tight end, I don't know if that's a good sign for your defense. Yeah, yeah, especially two tight ends. Um, that seemed like the difficulty all day long. long. The, I, the corners played okay. I think there were a couple of um, big pass interference calls that uh, swayed UCLA's offense a little bit. And, and you obviously think those pass interference calls were fair. Yeah, I think so. For the most part, it wasn't much of, I mean, pass interference. They were pretty is always very debatable. Yeah. Yeah. It, it tends to be very debatable to me. And, uh, and when it's there, it's, it's there. So I allow them to call it, but um, yeah, overall defense shaky. Obviously, you give up 42 points. They were able to force turnovers. But can we talk about Sammy Neuer? Sammy Neuer was the man tonight. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. He did, he did exactly what we could have asked him to do. Obviously, he was nothing special. But you go back and look at that stat line, 20 for 31, 64% completion, solid, one TD, 257 yards, but he didn't turn the ball over. And, and that ends up being what the difference is in this ball game is CU was able to force turnovers. Sammy Neuer, the rest of the CU offense was not uh, turning the ball over. And that ends up being the difference. I think a lot of people, um, when Sam was named the starter, I think even before Sam was named the starter, you could tell how good this run game was going to be. You could tell that the offensive line was going to be a little bit more experienced. They had a lot of uh, running backs in the arsenal there, and they were going to have a good run game. So the job of the quarterback wasn't that much. You had to be able to manage the game. Don't do too much. Don't force turnovers. Game manager. It, 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 is, it is kind of a game <laughs> manager role, but I think Sam Neuer maybe went above and beyond the game manager role. I think he made some big-time throws when he needed to. It seemed like on third down and such. And I, I, I was impressed for most of the game. I, I was very happy with Sam, Sam's performance there. Yeah, I, I think I was too. You know, when, when the game first started – Colorado got the ball at their own 13-yard line. They got to about the 33 where the drive stalled and they punted it away. I was like, okay, this might be a low-scoring game. Maybe Neuer just needs a little bit to get into the flow of things. And then the very next play is that punt where they get the ball right back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. They they just keep – the defense made some plays when they needed to, especially in the first half. And, and I think the offense was able to make plays when they needed to. If you look at expect, I think it's easy to like kind of um, criticize this team after what happened in the first half. But if you think about this game and what our expectations were before the game, I think overall it was a very impressive game for the Buffalo. Yeah. And just so you know, we're happy to have all of you on Facebook. Thanks for listening along. If you have questions, please send them over to us. If you have comments, send them over. We'd like to engage with you all. Um, I just saw one comment that said, no chase, I'm out. Thought it would be Brian and Adam. Sorry, we're not Brian and Adam. No. We're your knockout, Brian. We're your yeah, knockoff, well, Brian and Adam. <laughs> Brian, Brian and Adam happen to be very busy after games. They have a few yeah. questions to ask usually. <laughs> uh, we tend to do the post-game analysis, which you can 
you can go and watch. Um, I'm sure that'll be up later tonight. But uh, yeah, they tend to be pretty busy after the game, so you have to settle with us. I, I you, think. Uh, yeah. Do you, you think Brian and Adam have time to hop onto Zoom as soon as this game is over? Come on. Absolutely. Now. No. But but we are here. You're right about that. We are here to interact with the fans. One of the things that the fans said. Um, that we need to get to. We need to talk about Jarek Broussard. I can't believe I, I don't even. Oh think my I goodness! His name. What a guy! What a game! Woo! Woo! Broussard, that was quite the performance. I, I had heard. I was talking to a lot of people, and I think the the murmurs were out there. There were a lot of rumors yeah. talking about what kind of camp Jarek Broussard had. Obviously, um, to earn the starting job, he had to have had a pretty good performance throughout camp, and and I think he showed out perfectly tonight. Uh, three touchdowns. Somewhere over 100 yards, you know, in that region, maybe 130 or so. I don't have it in front of me. but Yeah, so um, Jarek Broussard, 31 oh, rushes oh, for 187 oh, oh. yards. Jarek, excuse me. I'm insulting the man. I'm insulting the man. It was 187. 187. Three touchdowns. His longest run was 37 yards, but he averaged six yards per carry, which is insane. <laughs> Pretty solid. I just think he did everything well today. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's not the biggest guy. He's not going to run over a bunch of people. Um, he's not He's not your prototypical goal line back. But um, I think he did a lot of things well. He was able to just – it just seemed like every time he ran the ball, he was able to get six, seven yards for you. Obviously, that ends up showing um, in the yards per carry. But he just did everything well tonight. And um, people told me I should have high expectations for him. I wasn't really sure what to expect. I thought – um, maybe a guy like Jaron Mangum, who had a lot of experience yeah. last year, um, might end up taking over this game just because I knew Jarek didn't have a lot of experience. But Broussard is by far the best running back. He, even when they brought in Mangum, it just seemed like Broussard was more confident running the football. Yeah, when, um, when they and, brought and in, it seemed like he's a big play waiting to happen. Yeah, when they brought in Mangum, I was like, why? I was like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, he's a bigger back. You want him for the short yardage situations. But Jarek Broussard was just so good. And Adam tweeted out this stat um, earlier today. He said, Broussard joins Hall of Famer Bobby Anderson as the only Buffs to score three touchdowns in their first career start as tailback for CU, which is a great stat, a great comparison. Hey, You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me kind of of a, of a Le'Veon Bell, but like a smaller Le'Veon Bell. The way that he's like shifty, that, where he waits for the play right, to develop. Right. It's that jump cut. He, he yeah. seems to have very good vision, and then he makes that quick jump cut and, and can just hit the gap really hard. And I mean, there were, there it, were plays like, where any other running back would be brought down like behind the line of scrimmage, and, and, he, and he just didn't matter for him. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, he has really good vision, very underrated vision, I think. Uh, and, and it's weird how you can kind of see that show up in a game. He, he just hits the hole hard, and it seems like he, he goes right for it every single time. And, and give credit to the offensive line. I think they were able to create a lot of holes for him today, especially on the goal line. Is that a completely different red zone offense than what we saw last year? <laughs> Let's hear about it. What do you think? I think. I, I'd like to see the numbers, but I know early on, at least through the first half, I believe they're five for five in the red zone. And last year, it felt like they would have been one for five, two for five. Like they just would get into the red zone. Jay yeah. Johnson's offense would go completely incompetent. Didn't seem like they knew what place to run. And, and they couldn't run the ball on their own terms, um, which is something that Mel Tucker preached. He wanted them to do. But when you're in the goal line, 
situation, that's when you need to run the ball on your own terms. And I think CU was able to do that tonight. Yeah, well, when you have a running back like um, Jarek Broussard, you can do whatever you want at the goal line, I guess. He had three touchdowns, and it was because – and that I, I think that was the difference maker in this game is the turnovers, but then having someone on the other side who can convert for you. I mean, the Buffaloes so, left – what was it? Tw- um, nine points on the field with field goals today? James Stefano missed two. He had one yeah, – yeah, he had one he missed, sorry, one he got nothing. blocked. And then mm-hmm. Evan Price they, made two yeah. of them, but he got one of them blocked too. So I mean, if, if yep, <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't for for Jarek Broussard, this game would have been a lot closer than we wanted it to be. Right, and luckily, at least as I'm looking through these stats, um, none of those field goals were when they were in the red zone. None of the missed attempts were when they were in the red zone. So they were actually a, a perfect. Um, I, if these numbers are well, it says it says a hundred percent, but six for seven um, in the red zone today. They they were able to kick you know, a field their, goal. The stat keepers first games too. To. They were making some mistakes. <laughs> yeah, um, it's hard to actually pull up stats. I'm sure we'll get a full game. Yeah, we'll get the uh, full stat update later. But anyways, it says six for seven. I'm guessing that, um, and it says a hundred percent. So I'm guessing that one field goal. And they might have been knocked out of the red zone or something along those lines. Okay. That might be a, a yeah. secret little. Stat well, we thing know there. we know um, David Platty runs a tight ship when it comes to these stats, so I'm I'm sure he didn't mess yeah, up. Yeah, it, sure it just it just looked like they're much more confident in the red zone. Um, yeah, and I think the most important part was running the ball in their own terms. Um, Sam just seemed confident in the red zone. Uh, it seemed like he was able to make all the right throws. I, I'm super proud of him. I'm super happy about that performance from him. And, and I think it just, to me, and I was talking to one of my friends about this uh, during the game, it just seems like he's a little bit more calm, cool, and collected. Like he's not going to make that really stupid mistake that yeah. it seemed like Steven Montez was always bound to make. <laughs> you know, someone said that to me too. I think it might be the same friend. But um, <laughs> Steven Montez, I mean, we, we can put that aside, but Sam Neuer, for someone who doesn't have the game experience that we were accustomed to here at CU, he seemed very calm in the pocket, stepped up at the right time, stepped out of the pocket at the right time, didn't make any boneheaded plays when he was in the pocket. And, you know, that was one of my issues with Tyler Lytle today. He just did not look comfortable. I mean, he was out there for one drive. I've got my notes right here. I almost forgot he came in, actually, until you brought up that name. And, Sam Neuer was red hot. And then, and then they decide, let's bring in Tyler Lytle, this quarterback. He goes two for two for four yards, which looks fine. But it's three plays, and they gain six yards. To be fair, they had a holding penalty on there, but they really didn't do anything. The drive just stalled, and, and Sam, Neuer, uh, Sam Neuer came back in. But Tyler Lytle just didn't look as comfortable as, as maybe Neuer did in the pocket. I don't think we're at the point, and, and I'm not going to do it, but we're not at the point to uh, question Carl Durrell's coaching decisions. And there were a few <laughs> questionable ones. Um, but one of them, like, you're up what? What was it at the time, 28-7? Something like, I don't know if it was that high. Let me go back and check. It was, was 21-28-7. <laughs> Sammy's rolling. He's feeling it. I think he was yeah. 11 for 13 at the time. Uh, not making any mistakes, and all of a sudden Tyler Lytle shows up to come command that huddle. It's like, <laughs> what? I know, Car- I know, Coach Durrell has a lot of experience coaching quarterbacks, coaching receivers, coaching offenses, 
Uh, so it should have some type of understanding of like when your offense is in a rhythm, maybe not try to throw that off. <laughs> yeah. Buffs were up 21 to seven. Um, to be fair though, um, coach Durrell told us earlier, um, I think when they had named the quarterback, it was a press conference when they had named Sam Neuer to be the quarterback. He said that Tyler Lytle did a good job there. It was pretty close. So we will, um, we will give him some playing time. I guess after three plays, they had seen enough, though. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, if, if I watched those three plays, I'd seen enough as well. But, um, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I know Tyler Tyler's a very capable, capable quarterback, and I, I'm not upset for him to come into a game, especially when Sam's struggling. I think that's completely fine. But at this point in the game, your team is rolling. You're up 21-7. Yeah. Everything is going right for your, your football team. Why do anything to screw it up? Oh, oh, I, the, the thought kind of crossed into my head. Is it, I mean, is it time to get the, the, the backups out here? Do, are you that comfortable with a 14-point right. lead? Right. <laughs> yeah, this, this, is, uh, this is Clemson football. I think it's just time to throw in all those four-star backs. Speaking see of, if you got. all see um, – if you all see Chase looking up at his TV screen, that's what he's watching. You're a big Notre yeah, Dame exactly. fan, right? And you're watching this Clemson. Early in overtime, Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame just scored a touchdown. They got to kick the extra point to uh, go to double. Second overtime, right? So we're, we're in single overtime at the moment. But, yes, if you do see me look up over the screen, that is exactly what I'm watching. You know, the nice thing about these booths here, um, here in the Radio 1190 booth, um, CU has installed a TV for us so we can we can oh, sit up here and watch yeah nice actually um, maybe right. if this goes long enough in four minutes I'll switch it over to Saturday Night Live and start watching some Dave Chappelle is what that you? okay okay <laughs> they got a new one going tonight what's up do they have a new one going tonight yeah Usually it's Dave Chappelle are... hosting today okay okay I guess I'm interested. Can we go back to a couple coaching decisions? Okay. There was another one. A couple yeah, let's, let's... fourth ones. Two, two fourths and ones um, yes. that we might want to discuss here. Okay. I think the first one. The first one that they went for. Yeah, and I, I don't know. You can always question fourth and ones. It's difficult. Um, it's a lot easier, though, I think, in the fourth quarter because it's very clear what your team needs to do to win this football game. Um, how many scores you're up, you know, how many possessions they might be able to have, especially when you just have what, six minutes left on the clock. So see you fourth and one ball I think was, it was on. like a fourth and three or fourth and four in the first quarter, wasn't it? Yeah. First quarter, but I want to go to that one in the fourth quarter. I want to go to okay. that last one. Yeah. So you're calling the game. So you probably know what it was fourth and one fourth and two. Yeah. I think it was a fourth and one. Okay. So we have fourth and one. You're up 13, which counts as two scores, two touchdowns against you, two extra points would lose you the game. That's very understandable. Yeah. A lot can happen. You kick the field goal up 13, you go up 16. If my math is correct, that is also two scores. That's two touchdowns. You have to get the extra, you have to get the two point conversion both times, which yes. is very hard. Your odds might be a little bit more against you there, but it's still two scores. And you know what is much more difficult? coming back from three scores rather than two scores. So are you saying that it was a good decision for them to kick the field goal on that fourth and one at the UCLA no, 26? A, a field goal does nothing for you. It, it doesn't. Two scores late in the fourth quarter, you're still up two scores. If you score the touchdown, 
which obviously takes <laughs> they they were a long way from a touchdown. Obviously, um, there was a long way to go there. But you have fourth and one. I want to see them go up seven. That pretty much ices the game, and it it iced the game anyway. It doesn't matter. But these are the types of things that you have to talk about on a post. Okay, so just to reset for everyone um, who's listening, Colorado had the ball. Their drive started at their own 40-yard line. They got a couple of big rushes. They made it all the way to the UCLA 26. When it was fourth and one, UCLA took a timeout. 26 yards to go. UCLA took a timeout with three minutes and 27 seconds left in the game. And then Evan Price came out to kick the field goal from the 44, and that was blocked. Colorado recovered the kick, luckily, so that UCLA wasn't able to take it back to the house. But Chase here is saying that he thinks that they should have gone for it on fourth and one because, you know, you already have a bad <laughs> a bad kicking You've game. You've had some trouble kicking field goals tonight, that's yeah. for sure. You already know about it. Your backup field goal kicker is in the game, which I don't even understand in the first place, and we could talk about that for a little bit, but I don't know if we should have much kicker yeah. discussion. Anyways, they're having problems kicking field goals. You have one yard. They're running the ball basically on their own terms pretty much this entire game. I, I think their offensive Yeah, I think they really could have easily converted the fourth and one. You saw Neuer do it twice. <laughs> Neuer you saw gained Neuer six do yards. the QB sneak. He gained six yards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 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 I, I kind of understand what you're saying, but here's here's my thought process is you know, you kick the field goal, you're up by the 16 points. As you said, you've got to get two um, two-point conversions, which you're you're kind of assuming that UCLA won't be able to get. You've still got 26 yards to go. You're not just in for another touchdown if you right. go for that and you you convert it. But the other side right. of this is that – No, go ahead. The other side of this is that they had had issues kicking field goals. Stefano missed one from 51. He got one blocked, and then um, they pulled him out. Carl Durrell just said in the presser that he's a little nicked up. That's what I've heard. I've heard, if I could count the number he's of always times, nicked up. He's been nicked yeah. up his whole career. Maybe if, don't if I could, thirty year olds because they're a little bit more injury prone than the rest. Of if I could count the number of times I've seen James Stefano have a bad game out there, and then I go into a press conference and they're like, "Yeah, he's actually hurt, and we haven't told you about it." It's like at this point, is he just a bad kicker? That yeah, that is that is. I, I, I just don't. Every know. time he has a bad game, it's because of an injury. Yeah. Which, uh, what it, two years ago, twenty eighteen? I do think he was hurt most of the year, and he tried to play through it. There, there is something to that one. But, but the, you're exactly right. It seems like whenever he has a bad game, I I don't know if we have a kicking controversy or what. But they're not kicking the. They're not kicking very well. They're not making any field goals. You have fourth and one. They're running the ball well. Sam Neuer's getting yardage on every QB sneak. Why? <laughs> I think maybe Carl Durrell didn't want to give CU fans too much of a culture shock after years of Mike McIntyre and Mel Tucker. <laughs> I Let me just tell you, if he punts at the 36-yard line, at the opponent's 36-yard line, I think he'll be set as a great coach here at Colorado. What do you think? I, that, the amount of hype that Mel Tucker had last year. If you end up winning this game 57 to 31, I think it would just do too much to the CU bus fans. So you got to keep, <laughs> you got to allow it to, you, you got to allow the CU fans to sweat a little bit. It can't be too, it, it can't be too much of a gap in the fourth quarter. 
But let's talk about some of the other decisions that we saw them make. I feel like, you know, we've talked about defensively where we saw them wide open up the middle. We saw some of those defensive decisions that um, um, Christian Gonzalez made where he was about to give up a big play and he decided to just do pass interference instead. What did you think about how the corners and the secondaries pl- secondary played in today's game? Hold on. I, I'm trying to get some more viewers into our live uh, okay. podcast. Let me, let me send some tweet. Let me send a little tweet out here. I did hear your entire question, but before I answer. Before he answers. Okay. So yeah, the secondary, it was okay. And I think we talked a lot about how it was pretty easy um, for them to throw over the middle. I don't think UCLA's wide receiver weapons are that impressive. Um, so that's another thing to think about when, when you're criticizing them. Um, the pass interferences, there were a couple, a few too many um, for my liking. I think the one most notably was the one on Christian Gonzalez, who overall I think played all right. I'm going to have to go back and look at the tape. It's very hard to evaluate DBs live because you just can't see much. But yeah. um, Christian Gonzalez, I think he played all right, but he had a couple of pass interference calls. He got beat a couple times, which you, you just basically have to expect out of a true freshman. Um, but I thought that pass interference, I think it was third and 10. It might have been a little bit more. Um, and I they throw that ball. 13 or something like that. But yeah, you're, yeah, you're and, along the right and, lines. And he never turns, turns around. I think he tried to late or whatever. But yeah. all he's worried about is like covering up the receiver. And it just never seemed like he wanted to make a play at the ball, which a jump ball on third and 13, you, that is a ball you have to turn around on. I, I know yeah. um, there are times where I understand why they don't want to turn around. They're chasing them. They're running them down um, on a go route or whatever it is. Um, that is understandable. I think in that situation, though, you have to try to make a play on the ball because uh, if, if they don't get that, um, they have a long way to come back. So, now, there was uh, some talk on the Twitterverse about how the CU players are coached not to turn around. Is that, uh, is that something that you were thinking about, Chase? Some talk on the Twitterverse. Are you just referring to my tweet or was there I other tweets? I think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I definitely tweeted it. Um, that's something I heard about Demetrius Martin, who is the new cornerbacks backs coach. He comes from Arizona. And at Arizona, Arizona fans were – they had a little bit of a warning. I remember when uh, he made the switch, they were like, yeah, he, he doesn't teach his corners to turn around. You're going to have a lot of pass interference calls. Oh, geez. Um, I remember that being a pretty major thing. Um, there are a lot of things to like about coach Martin. I think he has done a good job, but uh, that, <laughs> that I knew was going to be questionable and I was waiting for it to show up. And it was pretty obvious when uh, that happened to Christian Gonzalez. Yeah. And the nice thing was though, that, we're still playing college football. We're in college rules. So on those big plays with the big jump balls, you're only getting a 15-yard penalty, which if you think about the reverse of it, where the receiver catches the ball, there were some plays where they erased a 30-yard gain with a 15-yard penalty. So it's not as bad, I think, as people, you know, as, as it could have been, I guess is what I'm saying. Right, right. But when you have a um, there were a couple that weren't that bad. I, I just remember the yeah. Christian Gonzalez one being like that. That's something I do have to mention because to me, whenever I'm watching a college football game, it's obvious. It's so easy for the referees to throw the flag when the corner never makes an effort to turn around. Yeah, and make play. It's blatant. 
yeah, it makes it so easy for them to just throw the flag. It, you're never going to get that call as a cornerback. Just saying that uh, foot went out of bounds on the Notre Dame game, Chase. I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that, Vinay. <laughs> so anyway, um, speaking of coaching, though, this is something different. I, I feel like usually when we get done with a game here at CU over the past like three or four years, we've been talking about coaching. We've been talking about penalties. We've been talking about discipline. We've been talking about play calling. And it seemed to me like there, there isn't much to talk about right now because the penalties have gotten cleaned up from last year, aside from those um, pass interference penalties that we just touched on. There weren't those stupid false start penalties that we're used to seeing. And today the Buffaloes only had three penalties for 30 yards. Sorry. That's just in the second quarter. Buffaloes <laughs> only had, had, I think 90, maybe close to hundred. Yeah. It, they it had nine penalties for 90 yards, but a lot of them were those pass interference calls. Right. I think at least two or three of them, um, which ends yeah. up becoming half. Those are 15 yard penalties. So yeah. if it was, three they of add them, up which I believe is, is so that's half of your penalties. And then, yeah, you're right about the false starts. I mean, how many times did it we have seemed to like every single, about- every single drive started with a false start last year under Mel Tucker, yeah. the, the supposed sec disciplinarian guy who, by the way, just got shellacked, but we're not going to talk about that. We're, um, we're not going to talk about that. We're bigger men than that. But yeah. 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 We're bigger than that. Um, but but this this season we talked about the play calling too. Jay Johnson, I don't know if he was a great play caller, but I think Darren Cheverini called a spectacular game given what he had on the field today. Yeah, and I'm I'm very hesitant to give Coach Chef credit, and, and I know he deserves it in this game, especially when you put up something like 48 points. But um, I just go back. I have nightmares from 2018. I mean he those first five games that he called as um, as the play caller there, that offense was rolling. I think it was like a top 20 offense in the country when they were five and zero. Um, so early on in the season, I might be a little bit more hesitant to give him praise. I like to see how, how it turns out later on in the year. But with that being said, I think there are a lot of things to like about the way that he called plays today. Um, I think they relied on the run game. Um, they knew they wanted to establish the run game, and I think they did a really good job with that. Obviously, you end up having a running back go over 180 yards, um, and it just felt like in 2018 they really wanted to rely on those receivers, LaVisca Chanel and Katie Nixon, and it just didn't seem like they had to do that at all today, um, and they would rather rely on the running run game. I, I don't even know if a receiver played that great today, um, but really they didn't throw the ball all that much no. compared to um, years past. Dimitri Stanley, I, I think, had a good game when we're talking about receiving wise. But also, um, Brady Russell had a good game too. Brady Russell was the leading um, receiver in terms of yards. He had five catches for 77 yards. Dimitri Stanley right behind him, six catches for 66. Um, Brady Russell, of course, had that one touchdown. So he seemed like he was a safety blanket for um, Sam Neuer kind of like a tight end can be like a Heath Miller. If we're going back to the old school Steelers, not the old school, yeah, but the right. early 2000 Steelers. Of course you bring in a Steelers comparison. Yeah. Interesting. Daniel Arias was kind of disappointing to me because he, he dropped two big passes that one of them hit him right in the numbers. The other one hit him right in the hands. So he, well, he, he was to be fair, I, times, I had one tweeted for the game. He was going to have a big game. God, or I, I said I had some some type of feeling, 
And, and that so his game is on oh my. The kiss of death is Chase's fault. I tried to pick someone that wouldn't make that big of an impact because I knew it might jinx him. Uh, so, and I do think Brady played really well, but um, just to add a little caveat to that, he did have five receptions on 10 targets. I think there were a couple of big drops over in the middle, um, but I, I do think overall he played pretty well. So Chase, we're getting some engagement from our fans on Facebook. Are they fans yet? Have they decided yet? Um, one person, Bill, gave us two comments. He said, do the DBs know what pass interference is? Yeah. What do you think, Chase? Well, I, I hope um, Bill was listening while we were going over this. but I don't I'm know if he was. Exactly we just sure. got some new viewers. I'm, I'm, I, I think the DBs might. I'm not exactly sure that Dimitri Smartin understands why referees want to call pass interference. You just have to turn around. you got to get your head around. That's, that's the only way that you're not going to get an automatic pass interference call. And then the other comment from our pal Bill is the prevent defense sucks. Never should have gone to an onside kick. Right. And, and yeah. it will come back to hurt him. Um, I think, I think they did get a little bit lucky tonight, but you just can't get conservative. It felt like they started getting conservative late yeah. in the second quarter. And you know, um, if there's and- one thing we hate after years of Mike McIntyre and Mel Tucker, it's conservative coaches. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea, but um, going back to that onside kick, actually, because Bill brings up a good point. Dimitri Stanley made a really smart play on that because he got the ball on the onside kick. Looked like he could have walked into the end zone, but instead he decided to just take a knee there. And then Colorado's defense or offense comes out. They take a knee two times and the game's over three times. Easy. Yeah. Three, three kneels and, and it's over. Yeah, um, yeah, so that was very by smart. Him. First to get at his first, hands I was like, "Why ball? is he not running?" But he gets down, and you're like, "Okay, they have enough time, or the opposite of enough left on the clock um, that they're going to be able to run this clock out with three plays." So, um, yeah, that ended up being a really smart decision. And we've seen uh, Indiana, Penn State. We saw what the Falcons was that last week or two weeks ago. The Falcons, Todd Gurley ends up in the end zone, and you give them too much time to be able yeah. to come back. Just yeah. Run out the clock. Cause I think there um, was it, a, a, a little more than a minute 30 left in the game when he got the onside kick. So there was plenty of time for them to at least do something. Um, not sure yeah, if and, it was enough time, but you know, flukes can happen in football. I think that goes to show what happens when you have, and, and I will give credit to Dimitri Stanley, but I think that has something to show for having an and a coach that's experienced that has head coach experience and obviously um, some NFL experience. I think it just time management becomes a little bit more important. And, yeah. and I think they had really good time management at the end of that game. Yeah. They, they did a great job calling those run plays um, leading up to that fourth down that you were worried about. And if you see chase cheering, it's because number four, Notre Dame just beat number one Clemson. So chase is showing us his pit stains over there in, uh, in his room. <laughs> Let's go! Incredibly excited about this. It looks like Notre Dame is rushing the field. Rushing good the lord, field. do they know we that? <laughs> in years, there is a pandemic. <laughs> no Dabo's, one cares. They Mask is hanging on by a thread. Oh, anyway, um, so yeah, a couple of good comments for us, Bill. Thanks for uh, thanks for engaging. Thanks for commenting. If you have any other questions or comments. 
pop them in the comments down here and we'll 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 address them as we're talking through this game over here but that was another big story coming into this game ucla had a player test positive before the game and they decided it was okay for the rest of the team to still make the trip here to see you to still play in the game that player stayed in la but i think Cal had a similar situation where they had one player test positive and they canceled the entire game. That is correct. Um, I think there, I, there's, it was Cal's game supposed to be home. I, I know there's some Ber Berkeley, that whole area regulations um, that made it difficult for Cal to be able to play that game. And I'm not sure if it was because it was home or if they were traveling or whatever it may be, but um, for UCLA, it is interesting. I mean, they did all the contact tracing and they said um, that UCLA is good to go. They didn't trace anybody back. Just seems weird. A football team seems like most of the players are always together. There's some type of contact between them. Uh, pretty much every day you would have to have a player that lives on his own, right? Um, maybe lives with somebody that is unaffiliated with the team. I guess that could possibly happen, but um it does seem weird that you could just have one player and there's no contact to be traced with the rest of the players. Um, but very, I'm just happy we we're able to have some football tonight. <laughs> I was happy that we were able to watch see you. Yeah, me too. And, and you know, the, the feel here at the stadium was kind of different. I think they were allowing, I think they said the final count was like 530 fans or something like that. I mean, it was, it was pretty spread out. You would see like maybe, a family sitting together. So maybe three or four people sitting together max and the rest of the stands, there would be um, like two or three rows in between each of these families. And they said that they're not allowing any fans right now, but it's only the players, families, players and coaches, families. So they were all out here, but really you could hear everything that was going on on the UCLA side of the field from up here, six levels up in the, in, in the booth that I'm sitting in. And it, it was just a weird atmosphere. I think CU did pump in a little bit of crowd noise, um, but it, it, it really was, was just weird. There was a moment, like early on, what CU automatically jumps out to a big lead, but um, I just, I couldn't help but imagine what Fulton would have been looking yeah. like when, when they jump out to what, that With the four lead. turnovers, could you believe it? What yeah, it would be and, like, what the students say. And just, just to be clear, though, I don't know that they were pumping in crowd noise. So that's, that's just speculation on my part. So don't, don't take it like I'm reporting that. Interesting. So how loud was it? I mean, just for all of us that weren't in the stadium, what, what was it? What was the atmosphere kind of like? I'll say if, if CU can get up to a 10, if it got up to like a 10 during the 2016 season when, when the buffs were – we're making their runs. I'd say the highest it got here was a two or a three, maybe. Okay, and, and, so and give it, a lot of credit to the fans that were here because they were making a good amount of noise. They really were. Okay. And the UCLA fans Bam. were sitting on my side and they were making a lot of noise. So I could hear cheers whenever UCLA did something nice. Okay. Interesting. So just kind of a, did it feel like what, like a spring game or something like that? Yeah, that's, that's actually what it did feel like. Uh, the spring showcase that I went to with uh, Mike McIntyre as the coach, that's what it felt like. So it was, the crowd was sparse, but it was still great to have football down on the field. You still had the music blaring. The Buffs event staff did a great job keeping the energy up in this room. So the PA announcer was still screaming and everything like that. So it was a great game 
all around. It was a fun game to be at. It was fun to just have football back. And, and you know, the Buffs, the Buffs showed out for us. Four turnovers. They put uh, more points than any of us expected on the board, 48. Uh, yeah. up 42, <laughs> That's but... way... I was all over that. Well, I, I didn't bet the game. I, I have more um, ethical. I'm a I'm a better man than that. I guess that's the line I've been using today. Um, I did not bet. You're the a game. fan, I did like the You can do whatever like, you want. That's true. I, I'm not a. I'm not a. Technically, I don't cover the team. I do some podcasts to talk about the team. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I I was all over that under, and that under was dead within about like eight minutes of the game. So. Yeah. I apologize to anybody that I gave that out to, but I didn't actually take it. So uh, the press conferences are wrapping up. It's getting pretty windy here in the booth that I'm sitting in, but I just want to know if we're going to see Carl Durrell come out in like a Tua Tungavailoa-esque way where he comes after his first game and just sits at the 50-yard line. That's what I'm sitting up here waiting for, actually. <laughs> That's what you're waiting for. I'd like to see Sam Noyer, but whatever works. Yeah. You're, you're, you've, you've always been so high on Sam Neuer. Tell me why. I don't know about so high. Um, I have Higher than everyone else. Let me tell you, the I fan, the fan comments when Sam Neuer first was announced as a starting quarterback for Colorado were not great. And, and there was one, I guess I'm going to consider myself a fan now. I'm going to speak about that. Um, there was one fan that, that was uh, on the other side of that. Let's just remember that. Yeah. So what did you see today? Do you think that his performance today would shut the fans up who were worried about him? Oh, well, I'm sure that he throws a couple picks in one game. And, yeah, and it'll be over with. Up, Twitter's going to blow up. It's That's typical uh, football fans. And I'll yeah, I was, be ready for that. I was thinking that this, this game, it's pretty – do you remember the first time we saw Steven Montez? Was it that Oregon game? Well, the first time we saw him start, yeah, it was the Oregon game. I believe first time we saw him was Idaho State. And a fan can fact check for that for me. But Idaho State, the 2016 year, um, I believe it was the first home game. So it was right after CSU. I don't think he came in in that CSU game, but he definitely could have in 2016. I know he played against Idaho State um, in Boulder. Oh, I mean more like a start when, when, when Cepho got hurt. Yeah, his first start was Oregon in Eugene. Outstanding in that game, didn't he? Yeah, that was that was the most impressive quarterback performance I think I've seen from Montez at least in the last four years. That's Um, why when when a friend texted me and said, you know, Neuer's looking a lot better than Montez, um, just because Montez would kind of panic when the pocket collapsed out around him, I said to him, you know, Stephen Montez looked about this good when he played against Oregon, he looked really good. And that, that is true. So, and Oregon wasn't able to scout him. And I don't think UCLA was able to scout him very well. There's um, no so tape. What are you going to watch his high school tape? You're going to watch right, him at safety last year, four games. He played safety. Excuse me, I broke down the 2018 spring game tape. Okay. Um, you can go into that. You can go into that and get a good look. Uh, or 29. It was 20. Yeah. 2019. Yeah, um, when, when he threw and completely tore it apart. Um, but yeah, obviously they weren't able to scout him very well. So it's very similar to Montez in that sense. Um, but there's just something different about it. And I think 
Montez, he was very good about that in that Oregon game. But what I remember about that Oregon game is he ran the football himself really well. And I think when he got himself in trouble, he just went for it and ran. Yeah, and I yeah. don't think Oregon was prepared for that. Um, in this game, I think Sam did run it pretty well, but most of them were design runs. Um, I don't remember him scrambling for many yards. And, and it seemed like when he did have to scramble, when he did have to get out of the pocket, he was able to easily throw it away or at least try to make a play. But um, it just seemed like he it was much more calm. I, I was never worried that he was going to make that stupid of a, of a decision like I was when Montez was playing. Yeah, that's a great point because I, I, I was thinking about that because Montez, it felt like every time there was an issue, his first instinct was to bail out of the play. His first instinct was to run. And it seemed like Sam Neuer was good at stepping up into the pocket, finding the open space. There were a couple where it seemed like the pocket was collapsing around him and he wasn't quite comfortable with it. But for the most part, I think today he did a good job of with his presence. And I think the one thing about Sam Neuer that maybe sets him apart from, from what we saw from Steven Montez and maybe what sets him apart from Tyler Lytle is that he has a lot of poise. And so it didn't seem like anything today phased him. It didn't seem like he would panic when the um, rushers were coming after him. And it seemed like he, he had his head on straight where he was able to think through the right play to make. Yeah. Except for maybe that intentional grounding play. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're dead on, and you're gonna have you're, you're gonna have NFL a, quarterbacks also making intentional grounding mistakes. So, and that just seemed like a, a ball that maybe sailed on him. I wasn't quite sure what happened there. I, I think it, it, he, it I think he close. just threw it away. He was trying to get rid of it, and he wasn't out of the pocket. So he didn't realize that he was yeah. out of the pocket. Well, I yeah. don't, I don't know what his thought process was. I wasn't in his head. But. There was there's also something to be said, and this is kind of a weird point, and I guess we're at the point of a of a late night podcast um, where I where I make some weird points. But uh, one of the things like I kind of noticed was Noyer when he misses his throws, they tend to be low, they tend to be off the ground, and I think Montez when he missed his throws, they would always sail, and and which is not a good idea, that, which ends up turning into a lot of interceptions and. I know that's just like a very small thing, but it seemed like when Sam missed throws tonight, they ended up in the ground or way out of bounds. I think that's a good point. I think maybe we'll see that more often, but yeah, he did throw some short and he did actually, he missed a few throws short. I I would say a lot of his incompletions were probably short, which might be a good sign, but also, you know, might be, um, might be something that we need to watch for going forward. Yeah, and maybe coaches probably will a small sample size type of. Yeah, it's definitely a small sample size thought, and we'll see how this. Well, looks here's going what I'll forward. do next game. What a game! Yeah. Hey, I'm just excited. They won. They're one and zero. Everybody outside of CU Bus fans, everybody thought this team was going to win one and a half games. That was the over under. Yeah, one maybe two. Well, well, how good do you not, think UCLA will be? Not great, but yeah. also not – I don't think they're worse than, like, an Arizona. Okay. And I don't know what the score is of that Oregon State-Washington State game, but I'd also not have them worse than Washington State, too. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a couple teams in the Pac-12 South that are very vulnerable. Um, and, and Arizona and UCLA are at the top of that list, obviously, CU. 
Um, but we'll, we'll see. I think they're going to be able to pull out one or two more wins for sure. Just watching this team today. Yeah. It would be a lot better than those pack uh, those teams that we've seen that just tank as soon as they get into the pack 12 season, which is not what we want to see this year. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Washington State is up 7 nothing on Oregon State, if you want an update there. Uh, I, I kind of thought Oregon State might crush them. Washington State has Max Borgie out. Yeah. They had some question marks at quarterback. They didn't have a lot of talent returning. Um, obviously, a new coach there and all that. So I didn't think they were going to be pretty good, but hey, good first quarter for them. Oregon State's now driving, and they're down 7 nothing. And UCLA, I think – just to, to wrap this up really quickly, UCLA, I don't know if they're necessarily a bad team, but they have a good quarterback. And Colorado was able to withstand the Chip Kelly offense with a good quarterback in Dorian Thompson-Robinson and an okay running back. And, 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 and it looked like they survived. Right. And that's the most experienced quarterback that they're going to face all season. Um, they're, they might face some better quarterbacks. I think Davis Mills is Stanford. He didn't play today, but um, I think he's one of the top quarterbacks. Obviously, Keaton Slovis at USC, Jane Daniels at Arizona State are a couple that are probably better than DTR at UCLA, but that's the most experienced quarterback. You know, experience means probably making the better decisions. Yeah. Um, quarterback that they're going to face. Well, except for that handoff so. where he didn't hand it off. <laughs> <laughs> and he handed it off to the CU defense. Oh, yeah, he definitely made some – they definitely forced yeah. some bad He made decisions. more mistakes than Sam Neuer, I would think. Well, facts I would and say. going up against the most experienced quarterback. That's just facts, Vinay. I think we just landed on my story for this game. There it is. Let's go. All aboard. Choo-choo. <laughs> Sam Neuer hype train. All right. So that'll uh, – I think that'll do it for uh, Chase and I. Um this was our post game, our first time doing a post game podcast on Facebook Live. So thank you for bearing with us. Thank you to our 19 people who engaged with us. Thank you all for commenting. Thank you. I mean, you all had some thoughtful comments, especially. Um, what's up? 19 people is good. And this, yeah. this thing's just grow. I would especially, like to do a pregame podcast. I want to set the table next week and then we can come in for the post. Okay. Especially um, Jared's comment, who says that he's out because Brian and Adam aren't here. We're sorry. It's Chase and Vinay today. <laughs> and I mean, we are, we are the biggest downgrade you can get from Brian and Adam. We, we probably <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but uh, hey, you, you just got to accept what you can get here, right? Yeah, it's like going from Sam Neuer to KD Nixon at quarterback. How's that? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, by the way, what happened to Katie Nixon? I didn't see him at all on the field today. So he was on the sideline. Um, they did show him on TV. He wasn't dressed. Uh, he had his jersey on. Um, no equipment on. I don't know a full story there. Obviously, I'm not covering the team day to day as much. As yeah, we'll see if we can get some answers for you on that. We didn't hear much, um, but I don't know if we ever got a full report. And me, both me and you haven't watched post game press no. conference. I'm sure. That Somebody might have asked there. about that. Yeah. And there's a possibility even one of these uh, viewers that we have right now could fill us in on that because I bet that was in it. That was in it. Yeah. All right. Thank you all. Thank I'm you, Jeremy. That's so nice of you. 
Thank you all for tuning in. The Buffaloes win 40, 48 to 42 against the UCLA Bruins. I'm Vinay Simlot from Folsom Field. Chase is somewhere gambling. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.